Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why are you going all Jason Bourne on this, man? Come on. Wiley getting kidnapped at the exact moment I finally get a lead on the grail? It's so cliche. It's obviously just... The algorithm algorithming. First of all, Jay Bourne is a legend, so cheers for the compliment. Second, algorithms don't do kidnappings. Jay Bourne is a legend. And you are legends for tuning into this episode of Decoding TV. Hello! Welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. I'm Siddhant Adlaka. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a new show on the Decoding TV podcast feed where we talk about the latest and greatest and most interesting stuff that's in the world of streaming today. We'll tell you uh, if a show is worth watching, and eventually we'll review and spoil and discuss the entire season of the television shows that we cover, at least the good ones. Today we'll be covering Mrs. Davis, the new Peacock streaming original series. First five episodes of the show are live right now. We've seen the first four episodes. Next week, Siddhartha and I will be wrapping up our coverage of Dead Ringers, which is streaming right now on Prime Video. And then Siddhartha is heading to the Cannes Film Festival for a few weeks. Uh, he will not be covering that for Decoding TV. Siddhartha, where will you be covering that for, by the way? Uh, a bunch of different places. I'll be at Joy Sauce, Truth Dig, IGN, um, and gosh, there's one more, IndieWire. Yeah. Wow. So never at heard, least those four. Never heard of any of those sites, but uh, you know, <laughs> good luck to them. I hope they have best of luck in the future. Uh, but no, seriously, though, those are all very awesome websites and um, very excited to see Sidon's coverage over at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, but he will be with us for Dead Ringers, and then there will be a new co-host joining me to finish off coverage of shows like Mrs. Davis and to cover other shows in the future. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. You can email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Decoding TV. We are broadcasting live right now uh, at Decoding TV on YouTube and on Twitch at the username Decoding TV. Uh, and we are going to start by talking about whether people should watch Mrs. Davis. Uh, we are then going to do a little recap and then we're going to get to overall thoughts and specific topics before we wrap up with our favorite quotes from the episodes we've watched. So, again, we have watched four episodes of Mrs. Davis. It's airing weekly on Peacock. Uh, I think there's going to be eight episodes total. Within one sentence, Sinatad Laka, you want to tell people whether or not they should watch Mrs. Davis. I, I need you to go first on this one. <laughs> um, I am going to say I don't know. Uh, because okay. it's it's a really, really weird show that has a lot of great elements in it, and it's very, very funny, but I do think that it's a, it's a very specific acquired taste, and also, like, it's possible that the ending is going to wrap everything up in a really satisfying and interesting way, but... Uh, without that, you know, the question is, is, is it worth watching? And it's like, mm, I think if you watch like episodes one and two, you'll get a really good sense of whether you like what the show is selling. And if, if it's not for you, then 
I, I think there's no shame in just kind of piecing out. So I, I say so far it's a pretty I, I don't even want to say mixed bag because I think it's trying to do something very specific and it does that thing pretty well. But if you're not on that wavelength, you're not going to like the show. Okay, what do you think? Should you watch Mrs. Davis sit on the blocker? I'm glad you said that because my response was also going to be, I, I don't know. Because, um, look, clearly the show has its fans and clearly it it's sure of itself in, yes. in a very weird way. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. It, it, it seems to know what it's doing. I'm just not sure what that I'm not sure who that's for. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. again, like there are people that it is for. <laughs> uh but I don't know how many people Look, when was the last time, you know, how long has the show been out? It's been a couple of weeks, right? Yes. How how many Mrs. Davis memes have you seen? How many people how many times have you seen people discussing the show like it's succession or something like that? I I haven't, and like it doesn't seem like a lot of people are watching it, and there's probably a reason for that. That being said, it is uh, a Damon Lindelof show. He is one of the co. Uh, uh, he's one of the executive producers, one of the showrunners. Yes, along with Tara um, Hernandez, uh, who's right. also co-creator of the show. Yeah. Yes, and um, he's one of those writers who you know anything he watches, any excuse me, anything he does, I'll give it a shot at the very least. Um, it's a very Lindelof kind of show in the way it circles ideas of spirituality and religion, but it's also like, what if Lost was a comedy kind of, um, we'll, we'll get into all of that. It's, I don't know how to describe it. Like, like, okay. So, so I, I, I've never seen you. We've talked about many TV episodes yeah. and TV shows, and I've rarely seen you this flummoxed before. Yeah. So, so uh, a little bit of you know behind the scenes thing. We have we have a, a shared document, David and I, uh, that we keep where we keep notes. And uh, I was going to write a recap of the show. Yes. And what was it that I'd left under the recap? I think you wrote um dot 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 or dot 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 um question mark. Yeah. Right? I yeah. That's. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So I don't know if that is satisfying for anyone watching this YouTube, <laughs> you know, watching this on YouTube or listening to this at Decoding TV. Uh, but I, I would say it's a very odd show. We're going to get into the ways in which it is odd momentarily. Um, mm-hmm. But should you watch it? I would say watch a couple episodes. And I, and having watched four episodes, I can tell you that the show does not terribly deviate. <laughs> in terms of tone from what it does in the first episode or two, right? So, like, if you watch the first two episodes, you're like, I like this. Then you're going to keep getting that in episodes three and four, you know? And we'll see what happens through episodes uh, five, six, seven, and eight. All right. So, typically, I'd use this time to try to recap what's going on in the show thus far. But if, <laughs> I, if I attempted to do that for Mrs. Davis, you'd probably think I was under the influence of psychoactive, drug, uh, psychoactive drugs. The extremely short, abridged version of this story is... Mrs. Davis, the TV show, takes place in the near future where an all-powerful algorithm guides the actions of most humans on the planet. Our protagonist is a a nun named Simone, uh, previously named Lizzie before she became a nun, who hates the algorithm and wishes it didn't run people's lives. For some reason, the algorithm personified by the name Mrs. Davis really wants to speak to Simone, and when it finally forces her to have a conversation, Mrs. Davis gives Simone an assignment. Find the Holy Grail. In return, the algorithm agrees that if 
Simone accomplishes this, it will shut itself off. Simone then finds herself on a globetrotting adventure featuring a mysterious German gang that are also after the Grail, her ex Wiley and his gang of algorithm resistors, a doppelganger for the Pope, a sword competition that it feels inspired by a Mr. Beast video, and a bunch of other weird stuff. So that is the best. That's just like a fraction of the things that actually happen in the first four episodes. Uh, and yeah, and there's 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 jam. There's magicians. There's yeah. uh, there's a horse. There's look. I could tell you how these things fit into the plot, but like it's not going to make much more sense. There's holy sneakers. Um, yeah. So 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 a let's, metaphysical dino. Let's start talking about overall thoughts. So we are now going to spoil the first four episodes of the show. Uh, and, and let's kind of talk about overall thoughts. And so like, in addition to just whether you should watch it, like what are some of the things that resonated? What are the things that work? What are the things that didn't work about Mrs. Davis? So, like I said, I'm in the bag for anything that Lindelof works on. And, uh, because of that, I was immediately taken by, uh, you know, the fact that this is a show that deals with religion and spirituality in a unique way. Um, in a lot of his work, it's uh and, you know not to give him sole credit it's just that you know he is the writer on the show who i'm most familiar with um and and also thematically it, it is similar to other works but most most closely i think it resembles some of the ideas from the leftovers i would argue but yeah yeah whether it's you know uh the leftovers or lost or i think he uh, also had a hand in writing writing prometheus um mm. the all these questions of like you know science versus faith and um, technology versus magic and all of those are present here, but weirdly, none of the characters seem to be asking questions about it this time. Whereas in, in all the other things I mentioned, it's like characters, you know, following these mysteries of life and trying to reckon with them. Uh, in this, it's like, it's a magician nun who wants to retrieve the Holy Grail, not for any spiritual reasons, but just basically because she doesn't like this version of Siri and has like kind of a feud with it. And I'm fascinated by the fact that all these questions are sort of in the background somewhere mm -hmm. there. Like maybe, maybe they'll address it. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, I think it's, there's a fun world somewhere there yet to be explored. I don't know that the show, in its first four episodes at least, uh, explores it in necessarily a satisfying way, but I'm curious about what comes next. So I can say that much for the first four. This is a odd and frustrating show, I think, because mm -hmm. uh, the first episode begins very interestingly. Like We are back in the Middle Ages. There's a whole thing about the Holy Grail and... Um, the Knights Templar who are protecting the Holy Grail and like you're kind of wondering the whole time how does that tie in with present day meanwhile we fast forward to the present day we're introduced to this character who's kind of a Tom Hanks castaway type and after appear like being rescued uh, after being marooned on a desert island for 10 years we are then introduced to the idea that an algorithm runs the entire planet and so I'm like I think to myself ooh interesting that's interesting like that presents significant implications for the human condition and what modern society is like. Virtually none of which is e not even explored, barely even addressed. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if there is an algorithm running the whole world, I'm curious, like, how does that work? Like, 
How do people yeah. receive their instructions? Are people are people medicated? Do they, you know, I have all I have like 50 questions. And again, it's not even that it's not explored. It's it's literally not even addressed. Like they don't even they barely even reference that again. Do you know? Uh it, it's only referenced primarily because the algorithm, also known as Mrs. Davis and called other things in different countries, uh takes control of people and serves people serve as proxies where she the algorithm then can, can then communicate with uh, Simone, who is our main character played by Betty Gilpin. That is really cool. That's a cool idea. You know, like yeah, the idea that... And yeah. Go ahead. I, go should ahead that, yeah. I should clarify that the algorithm doesn't so much take control of them in a literal sense. It's that these people are more like willing proxies for the algorithm was right, yeah, my understanding of it. Yes, I think that's that's correct. They, that, they, they, yeah. they volunteer themselves to be proxies for the algorithm. Like everyone just knows what the algorithm is, right? And so, yeah. uh, and, and they and they kind of accept the algorithm's place in their lives. Now, oh, oh, and and like the, the way the information is dropped on us is like, oh, the the algorithm might have killed Simone's dad, <laughs> but also he might be alive. Right, right. Played by uh, David David Arquette, um, wrestling world heavyweight champion David Arquette. Love David Arquette, and I gotta say he's looking pretty good after all of this. Don't, his... don't ignore my wrestling references. Yeah, I'm not ignoring. I'm. I, I watched the. <laughs> I watched the documentary about David Arquette. I know all about Thank his you. wrestling Thank stuff. You. So Thank you. <laughs> I like how that you're taking that like as a as a compliment. Um. So I, I find that to be just kind of like, uh, if not fr- at at worst frustrating, at best weird. Like that you're mm. introducing this whole alternate dystopian universe but then you do nothing to really build that out in any significant way it it almost like the world in the show almost is identical to the world that we live in for all intents and purposes apparently there's no like famine or conflict or whatever but like we don't see any of that really like we we i guess you can't not see a negative you know what i'm saying but like basically what i'm saying is the world seems to be normal like everything seems to be the way it is in our world, even though there has been profound changes to society because of this algorithm. Um, uh, Maximilian in the chat room makes a good point, which is like Mrs. Davis is more like a social media parallel than an actual AI thing so far. And I, I would agree. Now, I love the ideas that the show is bringing up. Uh, um, you know, one of the concepts I have read, Siddhanth, is that like, is listening to an algorithm really that different than listening to, uh, to listen, listening to God? You know, listening to like a religious force, uh, and how are those things different? But I don't feel like the show has done anything to really deeply explore that idea because the show is so weird and so crammed full of plot. I feel like every episode, I'm bar- I'm just barely like comprehending the setup. Before it's like, oh, the setup is resolved, and now we're moving on to another adventure. Um, so I, I'm finding the show just a very odd experience. Okay, at the same time as all that stuff I just said, every episode there's at least two, three, four moments that are like really, really entertaining. <laughs> you know, like just really, really funny. Uh, you know, and it's largely because the performances. Everyone is playing this completely straight. Like no one is betraying anything that this is like one of the most weirdest silliest comp- concepts imaginable and that really helps a lot w- with selling this thing um yeah go ahead sit down 
Yeah, each each episode has, you know, some really spectacular moments. Like there's this one action beat in the opening prologue where uh, a nun who has just revealed herself to be part of the Knights Templar gets stabbed from behind with a sword and has the sword jutting out of her torso. And then she runs and jumps over a table. And with that sword that is sticking out of her, she stabs someone else. Mm-hmm. And so it's... And it's it's a very serious, very dramatic scene. Yeah, but I yeah. cackled because it was this completely ridiculous thing that just happened. And so I think that in a way sums up the show's tonal approach where yeah. you will have like just constantly like bizarre stuff happening. Um <laughs> I, I I guess but, I describe... but that but that is but that everything everyone is taking it deathly seriously, right? Like to a degree, everyone is taking things seriously, but also the characters all feel like they were written by uh, the Kevin Feige robot in She Hulk, with how much they just quip about everything as well. Like they are seriously immersed in the world, but at the same time, everything is like very snappy. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't even know if I agree with you. I think the one character that does do that is Simone, aka. Yeah, Lizzie, aka. But I think all the other characters. I, I feel like not very many of the other characters are very quippy. I mean, take okay. um, the character of uh, JQ, played by Chris Diamantopoulos, aka uh, the guy uh, Russ Hanneman from Silicon Valley. Right, like he he is one hundred percent earnest in every single one of his. There is no oh, a joking please. bone in that guy's body, in that character's body. I, um, I, I so think, I, I think... but that's what I like about the show is that Betty Gilpin is kind of the audience. She's the only one reacting even remotely close to what a human being would react to how weird everything's going on in the show, you know? Right. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, folks like JQ and Wiley are, um, you know, deflating the tension or like too Mm. sarcastic about what's going on, but they are constantly like making jokes like JQ's born references and all that. It's again, he takes himself very seriously. But there's like uh, again, line again, is a there, joke. That, that's not a joke. That is, he's saying for you know, first right. of all, he's not making a joke. He's yeah, yeah, not yeah, making yeah. A joke, but it's <laughs> yeah, a joke yeah, yeah. to the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, definitely, definitely. No, for, no, that's that's fair enough. Um, but I think we're we're pointing to this tension of the yeah. things that they're doing are really funny and ridiculous, but like no one in the show realizes it. No one in the show realizes yeah. that what's happening is ridiculous, right? And that's yeah, that's that's Maybe, theoretically one of the pleasures of the show. I guess my Marvel comparison was off base. I, I went, I went uh, for the low hanging fruit there without yes. fully considering the implications. I apologize. Yes. It's okay. It's okay. Um, so anyway, we have tried to convey the odd experience of watching the show. Um, but yeah, any other overall thoughts before we get into specific topics? I, I think just it's it's a weird experience. It's unlike any other show I've seen, um, and uh, I'm not sure it's for everyone. I can it's, easily it's see people getting not. I can easily see people get, just getting frustrated and giving up. Like that's for sure. I can't yeah. even tell you if it's for me and that's a big question mark, but yeah. yeah, tonally I think I describe it as magical realism, but if you couldn't really locate where the actual like magical stuff was, that doesn't necessarily make it realism. It just makes it like wait, wait. No wait, what am I supposed to be looking out for here? That's Indeed. strange, but is it is it it is. It kind of. It's like being gaslit by a TV show. Like I, I guess. Like there's some. Is that something? No, that's no. No, that's weird. Is that? Huh. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, Sadanth, Before we get to specific topics, let's talk about something that I can endorse, and that is that this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by the McDonald's app. Um, and specifically, I want to talk to you about 
uh, my newest life hack, Sanat Adlaka, which is the McDonald's app. I order in the app. I pick my favorite location. I select curbside or counter and head to McDonald's and I can grab my food faster. They prep it while I'm on the way. It's like a VIP experience you never knew you needed. Uh, say you want to go to McDonald's for lunch, but you don't want to deal with a lunch rush. You're a busy person, Sanat Adlaka. You got IGN and... Uh, IndieWire, you know, beating a path to your door and saying, give us those sweet, sweet movie reviews. Uh, you, you don't have time to deal with the normal lunch rush at McDonald's, so just download the McDonald's app, order ahead, pick your location, select curbside or counter, and you can pick up your food when you get there. They prep it while you're on the way. Order in the app, select curbside or counter, that's it. Uh, there's many reasons why you'd have to skip the line, Right. You're writing movie reviews. You're watching episodes of Mrs. Davis to prep for decoding TV. I mean, the, these are the two most important things a human could possibly be involved in, right? But you don't even need a reason. You know, just you, maybe you deserve it because you're an amazing person. And you're like, I want to get McDonald's food really, really quickly. Uh, if that describes you, I would highly recommend you check out the McDonald's app, order ahead, uh, get your food really quick and right away. Order ahead in the app to save time. Prep while on the way excludes, excludes drive through at participating McDonald's. Copyright 2023 McDonald's. Thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring this episode of Decoding TV. All right, let's talk about, let's talk about some specific topics uh, from Mrs. Davis episodes one through four. Uh, we talked a little bit about tone. You know, the biggest question I have is around the tone. This is one of the weirdest shows I've ever watched. <coughs> Um, I know I just brought up Bo is Afraid on a recent episode of This Week in Streaming, but many scenes remind me of that film in the sense mm -hmm. that this is a ridiculous, outrageous thing that is just being played completely straight. I also feel like there's a lot of inspiration and vibes I get from Richard Kelly's Southland Tales, a movie that no one I know has watched other than film critics. Uh, but it also features a kind of dystopian future with high stakes where nothing just feels right. Uh, nothing feels like it should. But I also think the show is just very funny. Like there's a lot of individual moments that I just think are really, really hilarious, particularly with Betty Gilpin being annoyed and exasperated with all the madness around her. And that really helps me to enjoy the show on an episode by episode basis, even as the broader purpose and the direction of the show eludes me. So how do you feel the show balances these kind of different tones? Is it a mess or is it, masterful like clockwork what do you think it of i don't know i don't know that i can think of it in either of those terms because you know on one hand no it's not a mess but be, but it's not a mess because it knows exactly what it's doing you know a mess is when stuff is just strewn around your room in a random order yeah but this show doesn't place things neatly on the shelf it just you know it puts it puts your socks on top of your tv it you know your your underwear is folded neatly like in your coffee cup um, it, it's it's meticulous and intentional in what it does, even if what it does it makes you like really scratch your head sometimes. Um, I, you again, know, I think it knows I, I what think, it's doing. I think a great way to describe it would be it's very confident. Like it is, it takes a huge amount of confidence to put the stuff that happens in the first four episodes on screen and expect people to go along with it. I think, <laughs> and I I say that it sounds like a backhanded compliment, and it kind of is, you know. But yeah, go ahead. So I didn't mean to interrupt Sinov. No, no, no. I, I, I'm. That's completely true. Um, but at the same time, I think where I have trouble is the fact that 
even the characters, or at least even Simone, doesn't seem fully sure of what's going on around her. And not in a way that's like, oh, I got to solve this mystery, but in a way that's like, uh, okay, like the fourth episode, uh, which was the last one in the first block that was released, just ends with like a whole bunch of new information and her essentially saying, wait, what the fuck? And it's like, yeah, I feel that way too. But also like, I, I can't really tell what's driving her beyond like, fine, I guess I'll do this. Okay, fine. I guess I'll do the thing. And that's not, you know, a super compelling reason to go along with things. And yeah, I know there's that thing of like, you know, she she dislikes Mrs. Davis, the algorithm, because maybe her dad, <laughs> I, I cannot pass the dad stuff. Like I know, like, okay, the algorithm was probably responsible for her dad's death, but that's something that is sort of, you know, thrown out with like a little hand wave, like, oh yeah, and that too. It doesn't seem like it really resonates for her emotionally. I mean, that's that's one of the problems of the show is that everything is so outrageous that nothing really hits. So I'll give you an example. Um, Simone, the protagonist, as a young child, tries to go into her mom's secret room in their house only to find that there's a booby-trapped crossbow that deploys and shoots her through the abdomen, Right. Uh, theoretically almost killing her, right? It could have easily killed her. Mm-hmm. That event would be enough to make a whole show about right there. Like that's, or at least a whole season of television could be about like the trauma from that incident. Instead, it's like, and we're on to the next thing. It's, it's re- referenced a couple times, but it's like, was that traumatic for Simone? Did the parents feel bad? Do, you know, like I, uh, maybe we'll find that out as the show goes on, but like, it's also very possible the show could never mention it again. And it's yeah, hard. It's, it's also- hard. It's hard to like invest emotionally in a show if stuff like that is happening, and it just doesn't feel like it's spending time. People don't feel like they're spending time on it, and they don't feel like they're reacting to something like that like a normal human would. You know? Yeah, it's it's part of like you know the the weird texture of the show, but also. It's inadvertently like, oh, this is just a plot point to show you how she met Wiley when they were kids, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's very very odd. Um, yeah, I, I but again, I do love some of the oddities. Like, um, you know, Wiley's at this hearing with a bunch of lawyers to talk about his inheritance now that he's turned uh, a very horrible looking twenty five. Um, this, you know, then this <laughs> cowboy walks in and starts accusing him of not being a man. Um, and then that sets him on a whole like existential crisis, which in turn leads to like, you know, Simone's finding faith. And it's just, it's one weird thing after the next that, you know, individually it's like, yeah, this is interesting, but the so little of it is like connected to the larger fabric of the show because, you know, everyone has either, you know, some kind of God or some kind of algorithm in their ear, just telling them what to do. And so it doesn't feel like, anyone really has any agency but at the same time no one is really like apart from the few times they mention it no one really seems to um you know rub shoulders against that fact like oh this is a story in which i'm trying to establish my own agency um like i yeah i can't pin down what the show is about and i don't mean in a plot sense yeah yeah, right i I get it i get it yeah yeah yeah. like there's a lot of there's a lot of complicated shows like lost where you know it, describing the plot is you know it's like tumbling down a mountain 
yeah. but you can you can tell what that show is about. You can describe the show emotionally and thematically in a few sentences. In this, I don't think you can do it even like almost four hours in, and I think that's a little weird. And and potentially problematic. Although we'll we'll see once we get to the end whether it'll all, all add up. the The scene that you're describing, where Wiley is about to get a seven or eight hundred million dollar inheritance, um, he's about, but he's about to give it away. You know th- that is a very that scene kind of sums up the whole show because, on the one hand, weird things are happening left and right. No one is behaving. Like, that is the actual situation that is going on, right? Because the actual situation is Wiley and Lizzie at that point have agreed they're giving away the seven or eight hundred million dollars and they're going to take 80 grand and go to Alaska and be together and it's going to be very romantic. That's, that's kind of the premise, right? So he goes into the lawyer's office to make that happen. Now, the thing that's uh, weird is then this guy comes in and is like, hey, by the way, um, <laughs> By the way, your you know grandfather gave you this money, and under one condition, it was going to unlock when you were twenty five years old, but your heart wasn't going to make it till then. So I needed to pretend to train you to be a rodeo person, uh, so that you would get in some kind of accident and then get on a heart transplant list or some something along those lines, right? Yeah, his liver, I think. The liver, yeah, one 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 critical body part. Anyway, uh. And it's just like, okay, like, everyone's just acting so weird. Like, if this is not how, this is not the gravitas that people would approach the situation with. And yet, at the same time, that scene functions on its own as, if that was like an SNL sketch, I think that would be a very funny thing. Where, like, <laughs> like this guy gives this huge monologue about how, like, everything in your life was fake. Uh, you actually have no rodeo skills. And then it's like... Oh, but I was going to give the money away anyway. And he's like, oh, therefore, I didn't need to tell you this story. You know, that's like a funny setup and payoff. Yeah. Um, but, it, but then it's it like. Has... <laughs> but, 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 and let me just finish. Which is, but it's basically sure. like, that, that's how I feel about the show. Is it's so outrageous and outlandish and ridiculous. And yet, on a scene by scene level, the scenes individually work really well, in my opinion. You know, um, the baker telling. Simone that she always wanted to be Pope, you know, this guy telling Wiley, Hey, I faked your, all your rodeo training in a Truman show esque situation. You know, like all, all these scenes, they work like on their own mushed up together. I don't know that it really works as a show for me. Okay. I'll stop. Go ahead. Sadaf. No, that I, I appreciate that. And also, um, yeah, it has the tone. I'm coming back to the tone again, but just yeah. like it, it has the tone and texture of an absurdist theater piece. Each yes. scene does. Each scene yeah. feels like an Ionesco play. But the thing about absurdist theater or any like absurdist performance art is that there is some kind of emotional truth and emotional honesty mm-hmm. underlying the absurdism. And I can't find that in this show. And I'm not terrible at finding it in most places. Like yeah. You give me like a total, you know, wacky piece of shit you give me that uh, that viral video from 15 years ago where like a woman is you know being in like spaghettios or something i'd be like no no no, i i get that um wow just forget that i said that sit revealing his no 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 no. hey 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 (laughs) hey but but i think i think i think it's the same issue as when we were discussing westworld about a year ago Mm -hmm. which is 
we don't know what we're watching. Like, what is this? Yeah. What I mean by that is like, is it, are we watching Wiley talk to some rodeo guy or is that guy controlled by the algorithm or is this all just some dream that Wiley's having? Like we, we just, oftentimes we don't even know what it is we're watching in the show. And I, I do think that's a problem when it comes to getting to the emotional truth. But at the same time, the scenes work really well. You know, like there's many scenes I really enjoy. Um, so I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the show. Let's talk a little bit about the spirituality, Sadanth. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, a huge part of the show has to do with God. Uh, Simone is a nun. She uh, she meets in a diner with a mysterious man who we later learn is Jesus. Uh, pr- props to the show for not having a white Jesus, by the way. That's uh, great and historically accurate. Um, but yeah, I mean... I have some thoughts on on the religion, the deployment of religion in the show. Like, how, what do you think about how the show handles religion and spirituality? I think, on one hand, I am amused by the literalization of you know the idea that you know a nun is someone who is married to Jesus. Sure, and uh, but but I think it all of it only seems to function on a literal level right now. You know, there there may be these weird, occasionally abstract things happening from time to time, but like it's the way it, the way religion, spirituality, Jesus, all of it, the way it manifests in the show is a strictly literal thing that doesn't feel like it has too many spiritual implications, which is weird. It's like I get the thing of like, oh, yeah, you know, what if, you know, Jesus was a real dude you could meet and interact with in a dino and get married to. But at the same time, but at the same time, the show is also saying, but what if you didn't have the real world relationship you did to Christian doctrine? What if that was just we we put that all aside? Actual questions of like faith and, you know, uh, understanding your place in the universe, understanding your purpose, all of that. You forget all that. It's like, what if Jesus was a real guy? And that's that's it. That's the extent of it. I don't know that I think it's quite that facile or shallow as as what you're describing. I mean, I think okay. that I think that it definitely goes to that level. Like it definitely at least crosses that level of, yeah, what if Jesus was a real dude? Like, what would that be like? What if Jesus actually um, was interested romantically in people? I think that the show is starting to hint as of episode four at the idea of like, hey, you know, I, I, David Chen, have met women in my life who are like, I am married to Jesus. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, who, you know, from my religious upbringing, like that is how they conceptualize and talk about Jesus. And... What this show, what I like about what the show does is it complicates that idea, right? Because yeah. it says basically, what if being married to Jesus is not all it's cracked up to be? <laughs> That's kind of what the show is starting to ask in episode four of like, there's actually potentially a lot of downsides. For one thing, you got to share Jesus with a lot of people, you know, and that's probably one of the biggest things. And I, I assume we're going to find out more shortcomings of it. Um, yeah, true. But also so far, uh, you know, maybe this will change, but so far, uh, Simone's crisis of faith when it comes to being married to Jesus is, huh, this is mildly annoying. And I, I, so far, I don't think that's like the most compelling conflict when it comes to being married to the Lord. (laughs) 
I can't seem to hear anything. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, Carlos Cruz Gordero in the chat says, this show is as concerned with Catholic doctrine as Steven Spielberg is with Christian doctrine in Indiana Jones, basically. <laughs> and and I, I don't know if... And this is what's so challenging about talking about the show is having not seen the rest, we don't know how accurate that is. You know, um, maybe it will become more interested in it as time goes on. Um, but... I, it's 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 a fair critique that so far it's not as deep of an exploration uh, as I would like. You know what I what I want actually is something like uh, what I would describe as an unconventional depiction of religion, which is to say something like Kevin Smith's Dogma or even Damon Lindelof's own The Leftovers. Right, like those Dogma, the movie, the show, The Leftovers handled religion in a very interesting and different way. And this feels like it is of that vein. It feels like it's going down that path. And I'm curious where it's going to go. But you're, you're right. So far, it's not like I've taken a lot of amazing lessons from, a, oh, this changed the way I think about God yet. But it feels <laughs> like it could feels like it could go that way, you know? So Yeah. When it comes to, like, you know, interesting takes on religion, uh, you, you gave a couple of really good examples. But I think right now it feels more like the Adjustment Bureau. Mm, you familiar yeah. with that film? I'm very familiar. Like I like that movie. Yeah. Yeah, where where it's like, you know, you take all these, you know, high-minded spiritual concepts, excuse me, uh, and you make them these very literal, almost mundane things, uh, to the point that I, I don't know really how this nun or even Jesus Christ feels <laughs> about the Holy Grail. Like, I, I right. don't know, like, what either of them, you know, if they have an opinion on it, which is... Like I, after four hours of storytelling, like I should have like some inkling at least. I feel like. Well, th th this is the thing that I'm finding such a challenge so far is that I've seen it's 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 a weirdly weird experience reading TV critics write about the show because many TV critics have seen the whole thing, right? Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jen Cheney at Vulture, Angie Han from Hollywood Reporter, they've already seen the whole thing. So like, and they, you know, they're saying, "Oh, this is an interesting exploration of like." Um, ostensibly the Holy Grail part is like potentially a commentary on storytelling itself. They refer to how the Holy Grail is the ultimate MacGuffin. It is the thing that has been the driving force for many, many movies in our lifetime. Um, and so it's like, is, is the show Mrs. Davis a commentary on storytelling and how stories get put together and like the things that drive and motivate us? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. But you're. But you're right. Four hours in, I don't know what it's trying to say about it yet. And and I wanted to check with you, Siddharth, who is a, a much more intelligent commentator on movies and TV than myself. Like, no, am I missing something, Siddharth? And it seems like we're both in almost an identical place on this show right now. Yeah, right? I think the show seems to be missing things. Like, <laughs> look that that uh, that person who gets stranded on the island in one of the early scenes and then rescued yeah. with his cat. His name is Trodingo, mm -hmm. and I think there's some kind of vague like science joke in there like uh, uh schrodinger's cat and like you know maybe there's like there is that mildly metaphysical element where like uh you know simone ends up in like this dino realm but like i i don't know is that just is that just like a joke like hey you've heard of this thing called schrodinger's cat well schrodinger is a cat you get it like it's not that kind of it doesn't end up being well, see, we do we do see anything. that cat uh, we do see that cat at the very end of the fourth episode. So, you know, maybe uh, I was worried we were never going to see that cat again. Uh, that plot do we? Where? 
it, she, it's in the video that she watches right at oh, the very okay. end. There's that woman cradling the grail, and then we see the cat in the video. So it's like okay, but yes, you're you're not you're to be forgiven for not recognizing it because it's like. <laughs> yeah but it's not even like but that's more like a matrix deja vu kind of thing that has nothing to do with like right right forget it i yeah, yeah i was yeah. about to go off on a rant about like you know quantum entanglement well okay so i mean you and i are both kind of like trying and failing to come up with what the show's trying to say at this point uh about literally any topic um mm-hmm. <laughs> literally ai destiny predestination free will, determinism, spirituality, religion. Um, at the same time, multiple critics I have read said, the finale is amazing. It ties everything together in a spectacular way. You got to watch it. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm definitely going to make it to the end. But I guess one question for you is like, you know, if you weren't doing this with me, you know, and you're not going to be around for our Mrs. Davis conclusion episode but like let's say you were as of right now would you watch all the way to the end you know like is no this a, really you would just abandon no, right now. like i think so like despite wow. the fact even that, after literally what i just said about like people saying like hey this is gonna be amazing at the end yeah sorry wow. angie i love you um <laughs> like um like yeah the fourth episode like ends on a cliffhanger and i'm still just like eh. yeah like when I watched it, it was recent. The fifth episode was available to me, yeah, and yeah. I anyway I wasn't going to watch it because I wanted to. Yeah, uh, we were recording only exactly, having yeah. seen the first four, but I wasn't even tempted. Like I was like, all right, yeah. I'm I'm going to talk about these four. I, I guess maybe at some point I'll read a synopsis for the fifth one. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> but, you know, but you know it's a bummer though. Sinanth is like, uh, it, this feel. This is about an algorithm and how the algorithm guides things. A show like Mrs. Davis feels like a rel- almost like a relic. We are in a state of great upheaval in the entertainment industry right now. It's like mm-hmm. this is a show that would not be greenlit today, I don't think. Do you know what I mean? This this was like greenlit in the heyday of like Peacock and Hulu and you know uh Paramount Plus. They're like, let's we gotta make as much stuff as possible. And so like out of that, a very weird, odd show like Mrs. Davis is created. And it's just like yeah. I don't I don't think this would get created today. You know, I think like and yeah. yeah. Yeah, it ended up also. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. It, well, it's just a bummer because I feel like we should try to support original storytelling of this kind, right? Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's left us mostly you in a place where you feel like very, <laughs> very uninvested in the in the final outcome of the show, right? And I'm so conflicted because like the the show does end up being prescient in some ways when it comes to yeah yeah I don't think like. Like, of course, when it was first being written and conceptualized, I'm sure, like, you know, AI was on people's minds. But recently, with the explosion of yeah. chat GPT and all that, it's become a much more frequent topic of discussion. Also, you know, the the whole thing of, like, getting wings in the show is um, a kind of scarily similar to, like, what the blue check has become on Twitter. It's oh, like, no, yeah, I'm going to yeah. do what it takes to get it. I'm going to yeah, yeah. give... Elon, my money. I'm going to buy a 40, uh, you know, I'm going to overpay dramatically for a social network just so I can yeah. get the Babylon Bee back on there, you know? <laughs> and and what I feel worst about is that Betty Gilpin is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think the one thing that keeps me thinking, like, maybe I'll watch more because yeah. I want to see her do her thing. And it's, uh, of course, like, it is incredibly distracting to me how much she looks and 
almost moves and emotes like Benedict Cumberbatch. Am I the only one who feels that way? No, I don't. I mean, I mean, yes, <laughs> yes, in the sense that I don't. Um, that's not a comparison that I came up with. No, I look at her and I'm like, that's Benedict Cumberbatch. But no, like regardless of that, regardless okay. of that, putting that aside, she's, <laughs> she's phenomenal at what she does. Even mm. though I don't understand what she is doing most of the time, she is so invested in every micro emotion, every interaction, every joke, every dramatic beat. She's fascinating to watch, and I'm. I think more than watching more Mrs. Davis, I might just like finally start Glow or something. Yeah. Um, I she's mean, really good. I agree. She is excellent in Glow. That's kind of the thing that made her a, a, a star. Uh, she is great in the movie The Hunt. If you've seen that movie, you've seen The Hunt, Sadanth? Um Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what I love about Betty Gilpin is she uh, often portrays characters. Uh, that are, are, are very sweet and kind and that also literally look and feel as though they could kill you with their bare hands if necessary. And that That's is true. kind of that is kind of the sense I get from this character where there's obviously a fierceness to this character uh, where she has a lot of anger and rage. Um, but at the end of the day, all she wants to do is spend some quality time with her husband, Jesus, in this uh, <laughs> in this metaphysical diner somewhere, um, she's one of them. Is mango falafel. She is one of the most compelling actors alive today, and I think that like this show is a showcase for her work. But yes, I wish the show was a little bit less weird and confusing. You know. Um, so typically, I would ask us to kind of try to predict what would happen in the rest <laughs> of the show. Not really going to do that um, for this show. I think that what I am going to do is express some earnest hopes, <laughs> and, uh, and and you know I've heard multiple people say, "Hey, this is going to wrap up beautifully. Uh, this is going to tie everything together. You got to stick it all the way out." I, I I would agree with you. I think if I wasn't talking about this for this week in streaming, I probably wouldn't have even made it to episode four. I probably would have gotten like two episodes and been like. Um, I don't know, maybe, because there's enough, like, fun moments. Like, every episode, there's, like, a really fun moment or concept or a fun, like, exchange of dialogue. But, yeah, it's really going to need to come together in a big way for me to be able to recommend this to people, you know? Um, and also, uh, the episodes are long. Like, each episode is, like, 55 to 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. There are it's a it's a big time commitment to not know where any of this is going or if it's going to be satisfying. But I hope that it will tie together in a big way. I hope that it will have an interesting commentary on AI versus religion and predestination and determinism and like I hope it's going to make me think uh about those topics in a in a in a deep way. Yeah. Uh, that's what I hope. I, I don't have any hopes for the plot because I don't think, you know, I, I can't even understand. I can barely understand even what has occurred. So I'm not going to predict what's going to happen next. But any uh, closing thoughts on Mrs. Davis episodes one through four? Sedantadlaka. Man, I barely had opening thoughts. I don't like, um, I give it a go. Like, see if you like it. It may be for you. It's yeah. clearly for like a, a couple of people. You know, someone's <laughs> watching it. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, we have some favorite quotes from the episodes that we watched. But before we do that, Sanat Adlaka, you want to let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week? 
Sure, you can find me at at Siddhant Atlaka on Twitter, and I usually link to all my stuff from there. And if you are enjoying this podcast, you can find more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Davis, or what you think about this week in streaming and what you think we should cover in the future. Find us also on TikTok, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, at Decoding TV. We're posting videos there all the time. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could check us out there. Uh, and next week, it's going to be Dead Ringers. We're going to be covering the rest of the first season. I think Siddhartha and I both really love the first two episodes, and so I'm really looking forward to finishing up that season with Siddhartha uh, on this week in streaming next week. Uh, and stay tuned for a lot more stuff that we'll be covering in the future. Until then, Sanatha Laka, favorite quote from the episode, uh, one of my favorite quotes. I mean, I thought Chris Diamantopoulos as JQ was awesome. Like, he's one of my favorite characters in the show. And he, he's he, everything he says is, like, complete nonsense. You know, it's really funny. Yeah. He's saying, like, one of my favorite quotes is he says, I'm JQR, but you can call me JQ. And it's like, yeah, why? that's such a ridiculous. <laughs> it's yeah, already I, an abbreviation, you know, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I like he's he's Mo from the uh, the Three Stooges remake, and um, I, I also love that basically his approach to an Australian accent is uh, what what Gen Z thinks Australians sound like on TikTok. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite quote, uh, I believe it's in French, the opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's subtitled as "We did not consort with the Templar. We are the Templar." And then like a whole bunch of stabbing begins. I thought that mm-hmm. was fun. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was a nice badass moment, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's a very like I respect women moment. It's the most badass moment in a shoe commercial that you will see this year, <laughs> and, and I'm including air in that formulation. So you know, Fair enough. Yeah, it's really strong endorsement right there. All right, uh, that's going to bring us into this week's episode of this week in streaming, part of the Decoding TV podcast. Oh, <laughs> you didn't see that. You didn't see anything. The uh, microphone just fell down. It was very uh, brutal. Oh, did um, it? Was that a figment of your imagination? We're indeed, very much, very, we're tra- channeling the show. He is Siddhartha Dlaka. I am David Chen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week with our coverage of Dead Ringers. Until then, goodbye.